This is Channel Attitude. Your voice, your right, your freedom. This is Vince Russo's The Brand. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to an all-new episode of the Talks with Taylor Hendricks podcast, with yours truly exclusively on Russo'sBrand.com with Channel Attitude. Um, today, I am joined by Sally Sausage, who has been trying to <laughs> make her way into the episode ever so not so gracefully, like Mama. Huh? Yeah. Um, today, we have a really fun episode. We have got the last of your October wrestling calendar updates, especially since we just came out of OVW's No Rest for the Wicked, as well as TNA Impact Wrestling's Bound for Glory. Um, we've also got two quick movie reviews I like to call Talking Films with Taylor Hendricks, if I do say so myself. Um, I've also got um, some new I Was Today Years Old because I was legit today years old when I found some shoes it out. Um, I also have some movie flashbacks for you because during Halloween I kind of like to watch stuff that I've already seen as well as some new stuff. Um, so I thought that would be really fun this week as well as some creepy movie facts you may wish you didn't know and then of course some motivation to carry through the week. Um, you know I am super bummed guys. I actually got a new background for the podcast and I forgot where I put it. Womp womp. Taylor Hendricks strikes again. <laughs> so you know what? We will, you know what? We will rock it even after Christmas. Who who gives a flying F, right? Um, so without any further ado, uh, wrestling calendar update, and then we will continue on through the podcast. So, like I just said, we came out of OVW's No Rest for the Wicked, which was live on Fight TV for those of you that could not make it in person on October 21st. Then, of course, you also had Impact Wrestling now back to TNA. They had their flagship pay per view, Bound for Glory. And now, this weekend, live also with Fight TV is NWA. NWA, the National Wrestling Alliance, is hosting their most gory violent pay-per-view ever in the history of the company. It is Samhain and it is live on October 28th and you can find it on Fight TV streaming um, as well as if you want to attend in person in Ohio it is nwatix.com that's nwatix.com. Now we're going to head into some quick movie reviews. I call it the three minute movie review, uh, talking flicks with Taylor Hendricks. This is going to be a regular thing on my podcast, uh, but more specifically on my YouTube channel. But I, I love to kind of give, um, what do I, how would I put it? Uh, there's so many people you could be following with all of these different crazy platforms that are out. And so I like to, you know, kind of give incentives to my fans to be on these different platforms with me. Like this podcast with Russo'sBrand.com, like my blog on Medium, and of course my YouTube channel, which just got the exclusive um, 8x10 mystery grab bags, which are it's not just a cute name, like they're actually a bag of Taylor Hendricks merchandise. So I thought that was really cool. Um, and on here, I'm giving you guys the first taste of um, talking films with Taylor Hendricks. So here we go. <clears throat> first one is Totally Killer, which I believe I watched on Hulu. I gave this four and three quarters popcorns. Um, I actually do have little popcorn things that I'm going to use on my YouTube channel. I thought this was a really cool spin on the quintessential slasher film. Uh, for me, it was like time travel, 
uh, sci-fi meets like that that eighties horror uh, slasher genre that is is a really cool wink unto itself. Um, I thought it, I thought Totally Killer had really cool talking points and plot points. And what I loved probably most of all it was its ability to laugh at itself, which is not something that is readily seen and apparent anymore in our modern society, which is gradually deteriorating at a much faster rate than people would have realized. I love the self-deprecating humor in this film because it's it's woke 2023 meets the 1980s and the 1980s are having none of it. And it was awesome. I loved it. Uh, like one aspect of it is like, oh my gosh, that is so problematic. <laughs> that was in the film and I thought it was absolutely amazing. I, I, I will I will not lie the first 20 minutes or 15 I would say probably the first 15 minutes or less I was kind of like oh is this another thing like the first episode of Goosebumps were like the first 15-20 minutes of it were just getting punched in the face with woke. Uh, that's what I thought was going to happen but what was really cool about Totally Killer is they flipped the script on you had you laughing at yourself and at today's modern society that thinks it's so much more modern than its predecessors and it kind of puts puts itself on its toes with the self-deprecating humor um, it really was a really cool nod to the origins of slasher films I I really I really enjoyed it I think it was a fun watch that makes you laugh even though it is a slasher film and it keeps you engrossed in this story. It has emotion and it has a really good plot. It was kind of like if you took, um, let me see here. Uh, it was kind of like if you took, um, what's, oh my gosh, Back to the Future meets Scream meets Freaky Friday in a way. And if, if like the two of them got married and the third was their baby, this would be totally killer. And I really, really enjoyed it. Highly suggest you check it out. Four and three quarter popcorns. Next up is Haunted Mansion on Disney+. Plus. I finally got around to seeing the Haunted Mansion. I gave this three and a half to four popcorns. Um, I, I liked and disliked that this was a somewhat complete departure from the original Haunted Mansion. However, I really do like the fact that it still gave its nods and was staying true to who it was while also paying homage to the predecessor that obviously paved the way for it to happen. Um, I like that it kind of updates the story of the Haunted Mansion from the original and it had some more complex um, plot points than the original which was really really cool. It kind of kept you invested as an adult but it still had that corny um, somewhat corny special effects for kids that you would expect from a movie that's supposed to appeal to kids but be more of a family movie so adults can enjoy it without pulling their hair out. Um, but it also had that modern watered down dumb humor in it that kind of is funny but is kind of annoying um my the perfect example of this in my opinion for you to understand would be how i met your mother the writing for that which was impeccable amazing top-notch wonderful such a feel-good show versus how i met your father and this is no diss to how i met your father but if you have the same writers but different actors and it's the same show but flipped on itself in reverse, so you're, you're How I Met Your Father versus How I Met Your Mother, and you go and you watch those two shows simultaneously, back to back, you're like, this, the, you know, How I Met Your, your Mother has, you know, it just 
that humor is different. It's, it's, I, it's so hard to explain, but you see this type of humor. Even if you go back and watch like nineties to early two thousand Disney movies and Disney shows versus the ones today, it's such a dumb humor. It's very, very odd to me. And that this was readily apparent in the new haunted mansion. Um, however, I will say that it seems, uh, I guess how I would put this is I really enjoyed the Louisiana culture that they did put into this film for it taking place in Louisiana. I am a huge fan of New Orleans. I, the music, the food, the ghosting, the, the beautiful architecture, just the vibe, the culture, love it love it so that was really really awesome for me to see um and i also thought it was very interesting how they chose in this particular version of haunted mansion to explore the different levels and elements of grief and desperation that 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 desperate seeking of answers to satisfy your curiosity but also your grief like that 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 brief glimpse into the unknown to sort of prove that there is you know, life after the fact and to get that one last chance to say something to a loved one. They really did explore that sort of outcry of emotion that happens with loss and loss of faith and, and fear of the unknown and the whole spirit realm. That was very much, I think, more so in this version of The Haunted Mansion. Um, so those are my two reviews. Haunted Mansion, three and a half to four popcorns. Uh, totally killer on Hulu four and a half, uh, four and three quarter popcorns. Now we are going to head into some movie flashbacks of stuff that I think if you are into the whole supernatural, um, and psychological thriller type of films, then these are for you. And I highly suggest you check them out. They are both readily available on streaming apps right now. And it is the perfect time of year. So, um, in case you guys don't know, my jam is totally like the paranormal, uh, supernatural psychological thriller stuff. Um, I, ever since I grew up in a haunted house for most of my life, that has been something that is always very interesting to me. Um, and something that I think that you should have, you know, immense respect for, uh, because, you know, they can mess your shit up. Um, so without further ado, I thought I would give you guys some suggestions on stuff that you may not have seen, or maybe like me, you totally forgot about. The first one is now available on Netflix, and I did have to give it like a double thumbs up on there. Um, it is called Deliver Us From Evil. It was originally, uh, it originally came out in 2014, and I give this one four popcorns. <laughs> Deliver Us From Evil stars Eric Bana, Joel McHale, Edgar Ramirez, Olivia Munn, and more. Um, the film, it's kind, it's kind of uh, creepy, it's dark, it's sinister, and it keeps you on the cusp of humanity's dark reality, in my opinion. And what I mean by that is it, it takes you through the evils that are done just on a daily basis that is a part of the human element that people just do not always want to readily acknowledge because they want to think that, you know, that's only, um, the ability to do such atrocities is not in every human being. But the reality is, is that every human being is capable of atrocities. Just most people have a moral compass and a code that prevents them from doing such things. Um, and sometimes these moral codes um, give you gifts. And these gifts, sometimes we don't always realize them. And it keeps us opening and shutting certain doors that maybe are meant to let, be left closed. And some people just based off of their own actions on a daily basis come closer than they realize. Um, so this is a really, really cool 
um, movie that really explores these exact things. Um, I don't understand the shade coming from IDB, IMDb, but most especially Rotten Tomatoes. I seem to almost never be on the same page as Rotten Tomatoes. Rotten Tomatoes gave Deliver Us From Evil a 29%. Um, IMDb was a lot more, more palatable of a grade. Um, IMDb gave it a 6.2. I would go so far as to say this is probably a 7 in my opinion. Um, the story of Deliver Us From Evil follows a cop played by Eric Bana, who, um, and his partner, Joel McHale, who always go on these missions and he always gets this feeling, this gut instinct, um, you know, about certain things. And he ends up being right most of the time without realizing that this is a gift. Um, and his gift ultimately leads him to come closer to evil than he ever thought possible, um, with these people that have been connected from a war zone, uh, that they serve together in. And he comes face to face with evil that comes after his family, um, and himself. So very, very interesting story. It's a very unique spin on being a cop in New York. It is based on eyewitness accounts from the, uh, from the actual police officer and a few people in his precinct. Um, so that's very interesting. The second is based on a Stephen King novel. It is 1408 and it is available now on Sling. The movie originally aired in 2007 and it stars John Cusack and Samuel L. Jackson, Tony Shalhoub and more. Uh, the film adaptation based on the book by Stephen King chronicles a grief stricken. We're seeing a pattern here with grief here <laughs> today. Um, it chronicles a grief stricken paranormal writer who believes in nothing including the paranormal. <laughs> kind of a fun twist there. Um, the story follows his journey um, to a hotel in New York, again, New York, um, and its infamously haunted history concerning the room 1408. Um, it's a psychological thriller that plays more mind tricks than you can readily count. Um, I think this is, it's, it's also sinister, very much like uh, Deliver Us From Evil. It's unsettling and to me, I felt like if Tower of Terror married Ghost Ship and they had a baby, it would be The Shining. That is 1408. Um, so it's very interesting. I feel like it's very underrated. Um, it was definitely, it had an 80%, I believe, on Rotten Tomatoes. So it did much better with Rotten Tomatoes. I think this one, I'm more aligned with them. Um, but yeah, I thought the pairing of John Cusack and um, Samuel L. Jackson was great. I think this movie is very underrated. And if you like psychological thrillers where it keeps you thinking and trying to guess and understand where it's heading and what's happening, then 1408 is the movie for you. Moving right along. So when I talked to my fans on Instagram, several of you actually told me that one of your favorite segments on my podcast besides Q and A's was I was today years old. So I've actually made it more of a point to continue I was today years old since I already do the um, Q and A's more regularly. And yes, we will have a brand new Q and A next week. Um, so here we go. Um, I was today years old. So these, in case you do not know, are things that I learned and I wanted to share them with you because I was legit today years old when I learned these things. So I want to know, were you today years old when you also found these things out? Um, let's discuss because some of these are, woo! Okay. The first one concerns a neuroscientist who is an expert in helping people prevent Alzheimer's disease through science. Um, uh, his name is Robert Love. So you can find him actually on Instagram. He does a lot of content on there. So I was today years old when I learned from Robert Love that there are three foods that contribute high probability of parasites that can cross into your brain. The first one you'll never guess, or maybe you will, it is pork. Apparently, pork 
um, is one of the highest proteins uh, for probability of parasites. So either A, know the farm or where the pork comes from if you are so lucky, uh, B, overcook it, or C, avoid it completely. Next up is sushi. Now, all of you people that love sushi, I am sorry, but you know what? It's better to know than not know. <laughs> I am not into sashimi or sushi. Um, wrestling, like so many people in wrestling love sushi. We would go the, to those places and I'm like ordering off the kid menu, <laughs> like with rice or chicken nuggets. I can't, I can't do sushi. I can't. Um, other than the fact that one time I thought um, wasabi or whatever, that green stuff, I literally thought it was like, uh, I thought it was like guacamole. <laughs> I don't know why. I don't know why. Completely different, uh, you know, genre food. Anyway, and I took a big bite of it. I will never forget that experience. Anyway, sushi. If you are a person that eats sushi one or more times a week, there is a 30% chance you've gotten parasites from it. So um, it is recommended to check yourself out and who knows, maybe do a heavy metal detox because parasites actually feed off of the heavy metals that are in our clothes, our food, our water, our air, our laundry, everything. Um, yeah, they said, he actually said that if somebody has sushi one or more times a week, um, about 30% or more of those people that do that on a regular basis have parasites from the sushi. And then last but not least is farm-raised salmon. Now, if you're a person that does not know what the difference is between wild-caught and farm-raised, farm-raised are basically in these, like, basins, these bins, and this is how they are raised. So it's like, um, like a like a giant barrel basically with water in it and these fish are raised in it and they're eating feces and other like nastiness that you don't even want to think about um and and that's how they get the parasites and then the parasites are passed on to you when you eat it so if at all <clears throat> possible um instead of you know eating farm-raised salmon which is raised in these small little pods con containing parasites opt for wild caught now <clears throat> here's the thing um, when concerning this, apparently there is a difference and I want to note this because I also just learned this. I think we talked about it last week and I want to kind of remind you guys, um, the way people get around certain things is by trademarking the name a certain way. And what that means is wild caught Alaskan salmon is actually not necessarily wild caught because there are restrictions. Um, due to the, the fishing and everything like that. So what they do is that they make the, the name of the fish. So they could be telling you it's wild caught salmon, Alaskan salmon that you're buying, but in reality it's farm raised, but that's the name of it. Wild caught Alaskan salmon. So definitely check and figure out what you're buying before you eat it. Next up on the docket, in case I did not already ruin your favorite foods, I was today years old when I learned that cayenne pepper can actually be a blood thinner and it aids the heart and the digestion and the heart muscles. Um, it has been used holistically for many, many years to help to rebuild the heart muscles, open the and open the capillaries. There was um, this great, um, scary story of a person that was having, um, <coughs> sorry, asthma. <coughs> they were in a cooking class, I guess, and they were having like a stroke or a heart attack. <coughs> 
and Dr. Barbara O'Neill comes running to the rescue. She was like a few minutes down the hall or something like that. And she takes a fourth to a half a teaspoon of cayenne pepper, puts it into the woman's mouth in the cooking class, and then gives her a tiny bit of water, like right before she's about to be comatose. And the person feeling the pulse all of a sudden feels her pulse start to get strong again, stronger again. It's because it dilates that and opens up the capillaries to help the blood and it helps strengthen the heart muscles, which I think is very interesting considering there's a huge spike, meaning a huge increase in myocarditis, which is the, the specific inflammation of one of the uh, middle or inner walls of the heart. So this could be very uh, interesting, possibly life-saving information. All right, hair needs to get out of my eyes today. <laughs> I was today years old when I learned, as my computer goes black here, I was today years old when I learned, and this is shocking to me, I don't know if you guys knew this, I did not. I was today years old when I learned that receipts contain approximately 250 to 1,000 times more BPAs than a can of food, and they can transfer to anything they touch, including your pocketbook, your wallet, your hands, your jeans, your grocery bags, and more. Um, the BPAs that are in this and the amount to which they're in the receipts can affect your thyroid, your estrogen, it can cause cancers, asthma, memory problems, liver issues, and even infertility, and a whole other list of other things this is crazy like think about in your lifetime ever since you were a little kid how many receipts have you actually touched not to mention all the people that work at stores that have to give out the receipts or for people that don't want the receipt take the receipt and throw it away like how this is insane to me that a can of food like a, one receipt has 250 to 1000 times more BPA chemicals. Um, and it does, it does say that some receipts actually give you a disclaimer, but I have never seen that disclaimer. That is insane to me. All right, next up, I was today years old when I learned that oregano oil can cure things like strep infections and, and it does it better than pills because it's a natural antibiotic that contains anti-inflammatory properties as well as cancer-fighting properties. Did you guys know that? Like, I legit was today years old when I learned that out. And number five, last but not least, I was today years old when I learned that something called phthalates uh, are the number one toxin that is currently destroying men's testosterone and sperm count. Um, there is research that is cited in the book Countdown, which analyzes the lowering of sperm counts around the globe. Um, phthalates are getting into your water, your clothes, your laundry, your detergent, your fragrances, and more. This was crazy to me. You know, already it's so hard. You know, there's so many people struggling with like infertility and stuff. But then you also have people that, you know, like health problems are on the rise. You know, they say like one in three adults has like a chronic illness now. Um, you see um, Alzheimer's is skyrocketing. You're seeing autism is skyrocketing. Cancer in people under 40 is skyrocketing at unprecedented rates. And you also have the lowering and, and basically feminization of men, which is basically what this is, a, a massive decrease um, in sperm count and testosterone levels, as well as in women, we're seeing a progesterone levels decrease as well, which is the, the mood stabilizer, sleep stabilizer, and fertility. Um, very, very interesting to me.
guys, full disclaimer, I had so much fun doing this particular um, segment for the show, the creepy movie facts you may wish you didn't know. If you guys are enjoying it as much as I am, I would love to hear from you because who knows, maybe we could make this a regular occurrence and not just during Halloween season. I think it would be fun. I like the weird, the strange and unusual and the creepy and the macabre. So I'm thinking that maybe some of my fans do too. Who knows? All right. Now we're going to head into the one of the last portions of this episode, which is some creepy movie facts you may wish you didn't know. We're going to be talking about the Avengers. We're going to be talking about a hit author from the late 50s all the way through the 80s. We're going to be mentioning Patrick Stewart, Scarlett Johansson, Colin Farrell, and more. So here we go. All right. Creepy movie facts you may wish you didn't know. Dun, dun, dun. Just in time for Halloween. Number one. Patrick Stewart. While reading the script for The Green Room, Sir Patrick Stewart was only 30 pages into the script uh, when he had to stop, take a breath, and then immediately go and lock and check all of his windows and doors, turn on the exterior lights to his home, and turn on his security systems, which was something he was not known for doing. Um, he was so disturbed just 30 pages into the script that he became un- uncharacteristically paranoid and nervous, he recalls. Um, the film is apparently, I've never seen it, but it is a, based around a struggling band trying to get an, a gig at a neo-Nazi skinhead bar. Why? I do not know, but if that subject matter wasn't uncomfortable enough, it apparently gets even more awkward and uncomfortable a topic. Um, the award-winning actor went through the film went through with the film and being in the film. You might ask why, why you know, someone who's knighted and, you know, had so many accolades in the business want to do a film like this. And it was apparently because he was so affected by the script that he decided he had to stay in this film. Um, he said the script made him feel abnormally, abnormally nervous and paranoid. And when he, when talking about the script in an interview, he said, quote, you turn a page not knowing what's going to happen and suddenly you're in a world of uncertainty unspeakable violence and pain and of terror. I've never read a script that had such a profound effect on me, end quote. I almost feel like I need to see it now. I mean, I don't know. That's the kind of person I am. Uh, when I heard that Mickey Knuckles was so disturbed and did not finish the movie, a Serbian film, I was like, this woman's a queen of the death matches. Like she's a bad tough broad. So if she couldn't finish this movie, I have to find out why. Like, I have to see this movie, right? So on one of my birthdays, when I was much younger, I actually watched the entire movie, a Serbian film. And she had every reason to be affected by that movie. Um, so now I'm very curious about this, this movie, The Green Room. All right. Number two, concerning Colin Farrell. In the film The Killing of a Sacred Deer, starring Colin Farrell, um, the opening scene is a surgery scene and it will have you never watching the movie the same way again. The surgery scene that opens the film is actually a real surgery, a legit bona fide actual surgical procedure performed by actual professionals not actors. It was a real quadruple bypass surgery filmed by the crew and attended by Colin Farrell. Uh, the film is a psychological horror film about a cardiovascular surgeon named Dr. Stephen Murphy. Um, and the film opens with that exact surgery scene. Those are not dummies. Those are not prosthetics. That is an actual, legit, real human being 
having open heart surgery with real doctors performing an actual open heart surgery. So a, a, a quadruple bypass. So if you've ever seen the film, The Killing of a Sacred Deer, starring Colin Farrell, you actually watched a, a real quadruple bypass. That is crazy. Like when I heard that, I thought to myself, how did they keep that environment, environment sterile during this surgery? Like did the person make it? Um, especially considering the movie is about um, a cardiovascular surgeon seeking revenge. Um, it, I don't know. I don't know if I would be that person to be like, oh, yeah, come on in during my quadruple bypass. What could go wrong? I don't know. <laughs> Number three concerning Scarlett Johansson. Um, Scarlett Johansson stars in a film called Under the Skin. Uh, while technically it's uh, considered a sci-fi film, there are horror and psychological torment aspects to this film that I think warrant it being on the list. All right, Scarlett Johansson in the movie Under the Skin stars as an undercover alien uh, disguised as a human woman who is traveling around in a van picking up unsuspecting men to send them into another dimension. Hello, Sally Sausage. <laughs> I don't know if you guys can see her. Like, her tail is literally wagging, like, right here. <laughs> Um, and Scarlett Johansson's character as an alien is literally, not figuratively, she is literally going around in a van and picking up complete strangers. So if you go and watch the film Under the Skin, Scarlett Johansson is actually picking up strangers. These are not actors. These are unsuspecting men by proxy getting picked up by a alien woman like i don't know just just brings a new meaning to you want some candy <laughs> so basically the director um decides to have scarlett johansson to kind of get some real authenticity to this he has her actually drive around in this van picking up legitimate men who are not actors who have no idea what's going on until after the fact and to help film this legitimately they actually had hidden cameras in the van this screams forensic files to me i don't know about you guys but i'm just like oh my gosh like what are you guys doing but yeah she actually picked up real strangers they were not actors and the director was aided by hidden cameras strategically placed in the van and they utilized you know the expertise of the expertise of editors to bring the whole project together for the film under the skin um you know this method while definitely creepy it really did help the plot ring true which was a an alien woman uh, you know, an alien disguised as a woman preying on unsuspecting men who are just having a typical night out. Um, so, I mean, you really do get that because it's it legitimately happened. But creepy, like creepy. <laughs> the next one <clears throat> is especially interesting to me um, and really, really creepy. There is an author whose um, extensive uh, writings in the horror genre for young adults called YA, uh, young adults, a genre, uh, has been writing hit novels in the psychological thriller and horror genre for young adults since the late 50s, dating all the way back to perhaps 1958, I believe. Her name is Lois Duncan. She's the author of um, several books that also were later turned into infamous horror films. One I guarantee you definitely know. She was the author of the book, I Know What You Did Last Summer. Told you you would know. <clears throat> Lois Duncan <clears throat> 
the author behind such titles as um, I Know What You Did Last Summer experienced an unimaginable, tra unimaginable tragedy in 1989. Uh, the a famed author of the young adult horror books spanning from late 50s all the way through the 70s and 80s um, experienced her own horrific tragedy in 1989 on a random July night. Um, her whole world was basically turned upside down with one night. Her 18-year-old daughter, who had just graduated high school in New Mexico and was planning on attending college in the fall to become a doctor, was randomly shot and, and killed by two single gunshots fired into her red Ford Tempo while she was driving home from a dinner with a friend. She was rushed to a nearby hospital after she um, was rescued from her car, which um, basically skidded off the road when she got shot and hit a telephone pole. Um, within 24 hours, she slipped into a coma in the hospital and passed away. Uh, the cops uh, felt that the incident was completely random, but the family was not so sure, considering, you know, the profession of her mother, uh, Lois Duncan. Uh, let's see here. Duncan got so frustrated with the police. She felt like they were not, you know, utilizing their, their tools and doing their job to the fullest extent of the law to find her, her daughter's murderer. Um, she decided to start using her own research skills as an author to find her daughter's killer herself. Um, her research took her, you know, many, many years, so much so that she even wrote a book about it and expressed her frustration in 1992, just a few years after her daughter was murdered. In 1992, she published her first nonfiction book, which was uh, called Who Killed My Daughter? Um, the, the police were so mad at her because it was very, very critical of the police in that book. So much so that they tried to convince everybody that the book was non, uh, the book was fiction instead of nonfiction. Um, and again, she wrote a follow-up book to that in 2013 called One to the Wolves. Um, unfortunately... Lois Duncan was never able to live long enough to see her, her daughter's killer be brought to justice. She died in 2016, just three years after she wrote the follow-up book, One to the Wolves. She kept waiting for an ending. That's what she kept saying when people tried to criticize her about taking so long to write a follow-up book about what happened to her daughter. And I think this is very... Um, <clears throat> You know, I think it makes sense. You don't want to keep writing about your tragedy, but you also want to keep it in the minds of everybody to jog people's memory. And you don't necessarily want to write something until you know what actually happened. Um, and, you know, she, she went to the grave not knowing who killed her daughter. Um, and what's very, very interesting is... The person, uh, <laughs> we, we span a few years later, uh, so she died in 2016, and in July of 2021, a man known to Lois's daughter and circle of friends, um, he was actually found guilty of killing the daughter. So Lois Duncan was right all along. There was a connection to her daughter with the person. And even though it ended up becoming a crime of opportunity, there was still a connection, which is the exact idea that Lois Duncan and her family were fighting for since 1989. Um, so if we go back really quick, um, Lois Duncan's daughter, Katie Arquette, who was murdered by two gunshot wounds into the side of her Ford Tempo, one hit her temple and I think one either the cheek or the head. Uh, she spun off the road when this happened, hit a telephone pole, died in the hospital within 24 hours later. Her daughter was living with a guy that was eight years older than her. Um, once they moved in together, they started fighting a lot, so much so that Katie Arquette, Lois Duncan's daughter, was actually scared of the boyfriend's friends and 
was thinking of breaking up with him and changing the locks on the place. Um, they had a fight the day she was murdered. And five days after the death of Katie Arquette, her boyfriend at the time stabbed himself with a four inch blade in the stomach, which looks pretty suspicious, obviously, right? He says he did this because of guilt. He felt that if they had not fought the day before and if they were communicating better, maybe she wouldn't have been out so late coming home from a dinner with a friend and maybe she would still be alive. Uh, there were a lot of suspicions and one suspicion ended up proving very true. Uh, friends of Katie Arquette and witnesses that were nearby during the time of the incident of the shooting, uh, they said they um, actually um, they actually reported to police that they, they saw a man <clears throat> driving around uh, that area. And then the name the name of the guy was Paul. Um, I'm not going to say his last name right. Paul was 21 years old at the time and multiple different eyewitnesses put him uh, around the area of the scene of the crime, of the murder. And in July of 2021, he confessed to killing Katie Arquette, the daughter of Lois Duncan. Uh, he told police that they he saw her driving um, and he was, you know, he had a hatred for women and decided it was a crime of opportunity. After 1989, he actually killed two more women and confessed to both of those. But he was only brought to justice for Katie Arquette and one other murder. The third one could not be definitively proven. Um, he was 21 at the time. And when he shot uh, through her Ford uh, Tempo, he was driving a gray Volkswagen Beetle. So the next time you watch I Know What You Did Last Summer, there is going to be a whole new context. All right, number five, apparently the editor of Saw X, so Saw 10, had to briefly stop working on editing the film because cops were called to his home after neighbors heard disturbing screams coming from his home. Can you imagine that? Like, you're an officer, you know, expecting like a terrible scene and it's just a Hollywood editor editing a horror film. Apparently the noises were so audible and so disturbing that the neighbors went into a full-blown panic thinking something was horribly wrong and called police um it's entirely possible that nowadays steve forn the hollywood editor now wears headphones when he's doing his job um apparently they all had a good laugh police included all right and second to last number six during the filming of the sequel to Marvel's The Avengers, a dead body floated to the surface of the Han River under the Maypole Bridge in Seoul, which was right near where uh, the movie crew was filming. It was one of six locations that they were using at that time. The body turned out to be uh, the body of a 21-year-old man who was reported missing on March 10th of that year after sending out a text ex expressing his despair in life. Um, Joss Whedon and the crew apparently had not known that the Mapo Bridge, which was one of their six locations, as I said, for filming, it is apparently a notorious suicide spot. Um, that is crazy. The next time I watch the sequel to The Avengers, that is legitimately going to be living rent free in my mind. Like, can you imagine just being an actor on set and seeing something like that? Last year or the year before, we actually talked about how this happened to Ryan Reynolds on the set of the Amityville horror film that he was in. A body literally washed ashore uh, not far, like within a couple miles of one of the sets they were using for filming the Amityville horror. I think I want to say in like 2005 or so. So this is something that has happened more than once with Hollywood films. We're going to round out the episode 
episode in the best way possible, which is what we do every single week, which is bringing you your weekly dose of motivation to continue through the week to keep you focused on your goals so that we can all be a part of someone else's survival guide. And to me, there is almost nothing that is a more admirable goal than becoming the adult that you needed as a child. You know, I see so many people have such celebrity worship, you know, but at the end of the day, you know, a celebrity isn't putting food on your table. Your favorite pro sports team is not keeping a roof over your head. None of these people are coming to save you. As a matter of fact, they probably know even less than you do. Um, but they like to act superior with this morality complex that they don't even actually have because they don't actually have the research and the knowledge and the know-how to realize that they are just cogs in a machine to, you know, be to mess up the system, basically, and to make everybody else become a part of the system, like the Matrix, okay? Uh, and so that's one of the main reasons why I always make it a point to, no matter what other segments we do, whether it's hit or miss, creepy facts, or feel-good news, or whatever the case may be, um, I always love to round each episode out with some motivation. And to me, that makes us all a part of someone else's survival guide, because growth, happiness, success and becoming the adult you needed as a child and healing from trauma, there isn't a one size fits all. There just isn't. But the more we talk about these things and the more we bond over them, we can figure out what works and what doesn't for each of us. And to me, that is powerful because when you can learn to heal yourself, you are indestructible, you are powerful, you are fearfully and wonderfully made. And I think sometimes we need reminders of that when we live in a society that always wants to tell you, perfection is the ultimate goal when perfection doesn't even truly exist. Um, and you know, you have to be like this and you have to buy that and you have to post about this and you have to do that. You have to think like this and you have to talk like this. We're basically living in George Orwell's 1984, except it's 2023. And that's really, really scary. And so I want people to be empowered through motivation and consistency and discipline because the most disciplined individual will will far and away be able to achieve so many of the things that they want. And with them, they will break generational curses and generational traumas that have existed for them and their family. And they will pass on generational wealth, health, prosperity, success, healthy habits. And the more of us that are in fact able to do that, the better society will be going forward in the future when we overtake the rotten system. So without any further ado, here we go. All right. I have said this before, but it has been a while and I wanted to bring this back because we are all on this journey together in the Taylor Army of becoming the best versions of ourselves that have ever existed. And that way we can, you know, instead of being ashamed of or sad or depressed about past versions of ourselves or past experiences, we can be thankful because we did the best we could at the time with what we had and the knowledge that we had at that time and who we were at that time. And we can use that to hold ourselves accountable to make us better so we can, you know, lay down the guilt or lay down the sadness and leave it where it belongs in the past instead of robbing us of joy in our present and our future. We can be thankful of those past versions of ourselves because they ultimately led to who we are right now in this moment. And that's why I wanted to bring this back up. This is one of my favorite things. You are allowed to be both a work in progress and an inspiration to others. I will say that again. You are allowed. You are allowed to be an inspiration to others and a work in progress yourself, okay? You can be both, okay? It doesn't have to be one or the other, okay? Consistency will take you places that motivation alone cannot, okay? And that consistent motivation leads to discipline. It, discipline is doing something you hate 
like you love it, okay? You fall in love with the process and that leads to success, okay? Falling in love with the process and doing something that you hate like you love it, that is going to get you up the ladder because you are no longer afraid of other people's opinions. You're no longer afraid to be judged. You're no longer afraid of failure because you realize failure is a necessary step on that ladder of success. And <clears throat> the more times you get up that ladder, the more you're going to see that other people's opinions are not worth sacrificing the view that you are now witnessing. Okay, you are capable of so many things that you have convinced yourself or allowed yourself to be convinced that you can't do or don't deserve. And the reason for that is because hate never comes from above, okay? If you're on the eighth la uh, step on that ladder of success, you're not going to be hated by people that are at level eight on step eight or higher. You're going to be you're going to be hated on by people that are on step seven and lower, okay? Hate always has to punch up. That, that that's what it is they always have to punch up because what they're doing when they punch up is they're going to open their fist at the last second and use their claw like fingers to wrap around you and drag you down to their level because it's easier for them to focus on dragging you down than it is to focus on themselves to better themselves to build themselves up to the level that you are now on or higher okay they would rather take the easy way out and just drag you down it is so much easier and this is so sad but it's so true it is so much easier to drag someone else down than it is to slowly build yourself up because you have that consistency to do this. You have that discipline to do this. It doesn't take anything except bitterness and hate to do this. You see what I'm saying? You are allowed to be both a work in progress and an inspiration to others. But if you are so focused on everybody else, you are never going to become the best version of yourself. So you have to decide what matters most other people's opinions who won't even bother putting in the same work as you or you okay your biggest fan is not your pro sports team your biggest fan is not those celebrities you like to follow and worship on instagram and and you know come up with all these the different things okay they are not coming to save you the only person that is going to save you is you the little kid you used to be deserves you fighting for you to become the best version of you. The little kid you used to be is your biggest fan. The little kid you used to be deserves your 100% even when you don't feel like it. Because at the end of the day, if you can't show up for you, how can you show up for anybody or anything else? You can't. So we have to become comfortable with understanding that it is okay to be a work in progress because a work in progress means you have not given up. A work in progress means even if your pace is slow, you are still heading in the right direction, okay? It means you have not given up. It means that you desperately, earnestly, truly, wholeheartedly, and completely want what's best for you and your future family and your future life. You are busy now building the life that you're going to have a few, a few short years from now. You are allowed to be both a work in progress and an inspiration to others. Forgive yourself for your past mistakes. Forgive yourselves for all the time that you failed and realize that once you learn, it's no longer a mistake, it's a life lesson, okay? You did the best you could at that time. Now it's time to let those past versions of you go. They have no business being in your present. You're working on your present self and your future self now. The more you continue looking that way is the more you're robbing yourself of joy in the present and in the future. You are allowed to be both a work in progress and an inspiration to others. But most importantly, who you should be inspired by and should be inspiring for and to is you.
All right, everyone, this has been the latest episode of the Talks with Taylor Hendricks podcast coming to you live every single Tuesday as part of the brand family with Russo's brand.com and channel attitude. I hope to see you back here again next week. Talk soon.